It's the next level. Forget what you think you know. Vampires exist. My name is Blade. I was born half human, half vampire. They call me the Daywalker. I have all their strengths, none of their weaknesses, except for the thirst. Twenty years ago, I met a man that changed that. Whistler. He taught me how to hold the thirst at bay. Taught me the rules. Gave me the weapons to hunt with. Silver. Garlic. Sunlight. Two years ago, he was attacked. They took him. And turned him into the thing I hate most. I should have finished him off. Now I'm hunting him. I will find him. And nothing will stand in my way. God really favors in the web? The spider or the fly? The second week in a row where a question is posed about God placing bets or favoring one side over another. And it's the third week in a row where the characters are concerned about deities that reside in the lands of heaven or hell. Huh. Oh well, next week that all changes. And not all monsters are scary to people. Not if it's one... Actually, hold off. Push that tagline to next week. This week, though, I'd like to welcome you to the Next Level Network and Studio Zero production of the faster, sharper, deadlier trash cast of a podcast episode. Yeah. Hosted by the postmortem one. It's time for What Lurks Behind Podcast Zero. Forget what you think you know. Bad podcast hosts exist. My name is Postmortem Paul. I was born half dead, a half wit. They call me a joke. Yeah, but no, seriously. Never seriously, but seriously. Welcome back, everyone, to the 92nd episode of the podcast, getting ever closer to the Grand 100. This week, uh, so this week, 
we're skipping the premiere, the premiere film, and going straight to the sequel. This week is all about the sequel. More blood, more action, more kick-ass martial arts, more vampires, and it's Del Toro, it's Snipes, it's Pearlman, and it's a vampire virus. In the 2002 pre-Marvel Cinematic Universe explosion, Blade 2. Could have gone with the first Blade, but was like, nope. Let's go with the second Blade. How about that? Hold on. Before we get into Snipes and his awesome portrayal of Blade, I'm going to rave for a few moments here about one of my idols. You guys know I am a huge fan of Joe Bob Briggs. I have books, I have autographs, t-shirts. I just placed my order for the little action figures of Joe Bob Briggs and Darcy. Yes, I am a huge fan of Joe Bob and the last drive-in show. I was a fan of Monster Vision back when I was a kid. And season three of The Last Drive-In did premiere this past Friday on Shudder. Started off with two movies, Mother's Day and House by the Cemetery. Yeah, Mother's Day. You know, I'll be honest, I hadn't seen Mother's Day in quite a few years. I forgot about the one brutal scene in there. It was funny too because like I was watching like I was watching the show but at the same time like I always like to kind of keep an eye on Twitter and you know just the difference between when I was a kid watching these movies and here we are in 2021 and there's what I call the brutal scene in Mother's Day and I'm I'm looking on Twitter and I see you know Darcy the male girl writes something about I should have had a trigger warning you know tweeted out before we got to that scene and I'm thinking to myself you know when when we were growing up we didn't get those trigger warnings you know you just your trigger warning was what your friends told you you know remember uh let's see I would have been in like the ninth grade and ninth or tenth grade and I saw the first faces of death and like I said, my trigger warning was my friends, you know, and, and, uh, and faces of death back then was like, it was like that fourth generation VHS copy. So, I mean, it already had a snuff look to it just because of the poor quality. And, you know, this was your trigger warning. Your trigger warning was your friend that already seen the movie saying, oh, you're going to love this. That was your trigger warning. <laughs> you know, we didn't have Twitter. We didn't have someone watching the movie with us online saying oh okay i'm gonna warn you now this scene might be a little sensitive or whatnot so it was just something that kind of struck me when i was watching mother's day like on you know on the last drive-in but of course the real highlight of the last drive-in as the season three premiere wasn't even the movies this time i mean don't get me wrong like mother's day is classic I remember watching it, you know, as a teenager. Uh, House by the Cemetery, classic Fulci film. I mean, how can you go wrong with it? I mean, yeah, there's some people that are like, movie doesn't make sense. It really doesn't need to. <laughs> it's a Fulci film. You just watch it for the gore. But 
the best part about this past Friday's last drive-in was Joe Bob Briggs on one side and Eli Roth on the other. When you have two movie minds like these guys talking, it is mesmerizing. Just to listen to the two of them talk, especially Eli. And I mean, like, it, and I, I, you know, you see it online, like the that meme of the the guy trying to explain something. And he's got like the I, I think I don't even remember where it's from, but it's like he's got like all these charts and stuff behind him, and he's like trying to explain timelines and whatnot. I, I don't remember where the actual image comes from, but we've all seen that meme before. And listening to Eli Roth talk about movies and how they're all interconnected was like that. <laughs> um, and especially for the second film, Host by the Cemetery, because Joe Bob is not a huge fan of that movie. You know, he he enjoys Italian cinema, but at the same time, he, he feels it's very disjointed and doesn't always make sense and stuff like that. And here comes along Eli Roth, who literally debunks all of that and shows how everything is intertwined. And it was just, it was amazing to just listen to the two of them talk. And what I really enjoyed about it was that Joe Bob, this is his show. He's the star of the show. You know, nobody's supposed to upstage Joe Bob, which I mean, I, I'm not saying that's his that's his way of thinking that's the way as a fan that i watch it like when i watch it i'm I'm thinking joe bob is the leader of this and everyone else comes in with their factoids afterwards this was probably one time where i'm watching it and like joe bob literally just sat back and let eli take the show and it was it was fun it was enjoyable to watch i mean sure joe bob's spitting out his facts too like he you know he's no slouch but it was the fact that he sat back and he let Eli like really show what he knew. Like, and I, I have to say, like, I Eli Roth's movies I'm hit or miss with. Like, I really enjoy Cabin Fever. I really enjoy Clown. Um, but then some of the quote unquote torture porn. I've never been a huge fan of Green Inferno. I. <laughs> cannibal films are very tricky for me like some of them i really enjoy and other ones i'm like uh, no i can do without that um and uh like hostile hostile the first one's fun the second one i vaguely remember but i know i've only i've only watched the second one i think maybe twice if that um and the third one i don't even think i've watched so with Eli Roth, like he's very hit and miss with me. Some some movies I love, some movies I don't. But I gotta say, when that man is speaking about movies, like first off, he's so passionate. And he just, he loves things. Like he's, he's not afraid to show that he has an admiration and an adoration and a respect for filmmakers. Especially when we got to like House by the Cemetery, they had several segments. His final segment gave me goosebumps listening to him actually talk about Hollywood. And I think it's it's because we're seeing this a lot lately. I mean, even I've highlighted on this podcast over the last several weeks about studios interfering. And he kind of talks about that in his own way. I don't want to spoil anything because many of you I know have Shudder and you will watch this. So I want you to see it for yourself if you didn't already see it. But just the way that he... He really almost like comes to the defense of 
directors and creators and gives us that insight that as a fan we might not have you know um some of us get it some of us know and but there's a lot of people that you know they go based off their social media feeds or they they read articles you know from screen rant and and we got this covered for some reason or another everybody loves that website and i don't get it but anyways just it was so nice to to listen to someone who was actually in the know explaining why it's hard for directors to sometimes put their vision on the screen that the fact that the studio will involve itself this is, and and there's a whole like all the marketing research they do that sometimes is, ends up being pointless but studios will do this and they'll spend so much money on not even so much the movie itself but they've got to make sure they're going to make their dollar and if if the formula for them doesn't seem like it'll work they'll trash everything instead of letting a creator put something out there that might end up hooking um where in you know in the 60s the 70s and the 80s directors and creators and writers were putting stuff out there that wasn't always formulaic and they were taking chances and a lot of that stuff grabbed people and it's what led to like you take a look at the slasher the slasher the the slasher situation that took place in the in the you know the 80s the whole phenomena behind i mean you had everything from friday the 13th my bloody valentine april fool's day halloween uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Air Pieces, and it was like one after another after another, and it just it and so many that went under the radar because they just seemed like they were all doing the same thing. Movies like Mutilator or Fall Break, whatever, um, and and why? Because you know, let's say Halloween, like Black Christmas and Halloween, kind of like started that whole thing. I mean, yeah, if you really want to go back to the original, yeah. Psycho, Psycho was the one that started it all. But you got Psycho, you got Black Christmas, Halloween, and then the next thing you know, all of a sudden, all these movies are doing the same thing over and over and over. And that was the formula that was successful. But then you'd have someone like a Frank Hennenlotter come along who was like, hmm, let's try Basket Case. And it was something that was so batshit crazy, but it it grabbed people and it, it went with it. Um, reanimator, you know, gave life to the whole HP Lovecraft thing. Um, I mean, it, it, Lovecraft had been done before, but reanimator was the one that really like set it off, you know, flying and going. And the next thing you know, we had from beyond and lurking fear and all these other ones that were just coming out one after another. Um, Dagon is still one of my favorites. Uh, so, But again, to get back to what I was originally talking about, so like as you just heard me doing where I'm talking about like the connections and the formulas and everything like that, Eli really went full on with that and really opened up, you know, the whole idea of what goes on in Hollywood. And it was so awesome to just listen to that there were times when it was like the movie was on. I'm like, okay, can the movie like pause itself? I want to go back to them too. This was probably one of the first times I've ever had this happen while watching the last drive in because normally I, to be fair, I do love mother's day and I do love house by the cemetery, but I can watch them whenever I want. I want to see Joe, Bob and Eli. 
The reason why I bring this up also is because now available on Shudder, although they have not officially announced it yet, a lot of us diehard, mutant fam, whatever you want to call us, we kind of discovered something. So Shudder quietly put on a new series. They They haven't technically announced it yet, but a lot of us who follow the whole Joe Bob thing very closely found out that there's a new series called The Last Drive-In, Just Joe Bob. And some people, it's not showing up on their app or on the website. If you go to the search function for Shutter and search Just Joe Bob, it will come up. So you can do that if you can't find it right away. Um, and I think a lot of it is because they're tweaking it. Um, but basically what Just Joe Bob is, is how many times have you gone to watch one of the movies from The Last Drive-In marathon uh you know the 2018 marathon or one of the specials here in canada the dinners of death the thanksgiving special all four movies are unavailable so it says series dinners of death you click on it there's nothing why but with just joe bob we can now go and watch all the segments from those movies even if the movies weren't aired here in canada there was a few that i had to turn a certain um, VPN on to watch <laughs> when they were on the, the service because for whatever reason, rights in Canada, you know, you can't have Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Why? It's on Tubi for crying out loud. But anyways, is what it is. So there were times when I had to do that or there were times that I missed out on a movie completely because, you know, Shudder just couldn't have the movie on there at all, whether it be in the United States or Canada. So you'd end up, you'd miss out on those segments that came from Joe Bob. Well, now, through the Just Joe Bob series, like they're calling it, we can go there and there's seasons 1 through 10, which, okay, if there hasn't been 10 seasons, but they treat each of the special marathons as its own season as well. So, for example, like, uh, Joe Bob's Red Christmas, I think, is like season 5, um, and stuff like that. So... Anyways, all his segments are now available. I've already watched half of the 24-hour marathon, all the segments available there, which there here in Canada, there's two movies missing. Um, Sorority Babes and the Slimeball Bolarama and Demons. For whatever reason, the segments aren't there. Um, this is where I say it wasn't officially released yet, but of course, the quote-unquote mutant fam, we discovered it and... Someone has taken to Twitter to talk to the fans about it. I'm talking about Darcy, the male girl. And so she's basically confirmed on Twitter this much so far that it is a soft, they're calling it a soft test. They're, it's been put on there, but they know that there's issues with it. It's more or less what it is, is they want to make sure that people can access it, that it shows up and whatnot. I tweeted to her that the two movies from the original marathon were missing which she then tweeted me back and said, okay, no problem, I'll let them know. Um, and I've noticed through other tweets with other people, she was saying, you know, like, some people it's showing up at, in the series section on their shutter, other people they have to search it, but it is there. Um, but this is basically what fans have been wanting for for quite some time. And it, every time there's been a marathon or whatever, people have said the same thing. Just put the segments on. We don't care if the movie's there. We just want the segments. Every time uh, they lose rights to a movie, the whole show goes 
to shit. Um, like I said, Dinners of Death here in Canada, none of the four movies are available. So we didn't have any of those segments. Now we do. Um, so that's kind of, and I realize, yes, I'm spending a good portion of my time talking about, you know, Joe Bob Briggs here right now, but being that, you know, this is something that like I, I love very much. And it was like, we had a very Joe Bob kind of weekend. Um, as a matter of fact, I might also add that on the, um, Sunday night on shutter TV, they had the 2021 Fangoria chainsaw awards and for best achievement in nonfiction, last drive in with Joe Bob Briggs won. So that that's totally awesome. I'm also going to mention that with the Fangoria Awards, certain movie I reviewed on this podcast, um, won for best streaming release, and that was the movie Host. Absolutely deserving of that award. Um, I think that's great. I will say this, the Fangoria Chainsaw Awards really seemed like it was all about the Invisible Man. Pretty much anywhere that that movie got nominated, it won. I think it walked away with like four, four awards, five awards, something like that. I mean, I haven't seen the movie myself yet. It's one that I've been intending to see, but I, I always seem like I push it off for something that's a little bit more independent. I'm really big into independent horror these days. So whenever, and don't get me wrong, I'm not saying Invisible Man's not a good movie. I'm sure it is, but like... This past weekend, I watched uh, Jacob's Wife. It's a new independent film with Barbara Crampton, Graham, Barbara Crampton, um, and Larry Fessenden. Fessenden. I, I can never pronounce his last name right, but um, really good vampire flick. Kind of, kind of different, a little bit quirky, uh, but it it was very, very entertaining. I absolutely loved it. Um, but yeah, so you give me Jacob's wife or you give me the invisible man, I pick Jacob's wife. So, and that's where I've kind of been going with this. Um, so the invisible man, it's not that I don't want to see it. I just haven't gotten to it yet, which you're like, well, it's been out for what, two years, a year or whatever it's been. And it's like, yeah, I get that. But well, let's see. It would be a year, not two years, obviously. It'd be a year because um, I believe it was in the theaters right before... The world decided to say, stay home, don't go outside or you'll die. Um, but yeah, so there's that. Uh, anyways, all in all, it was a, it, it was a nice relaxing weekend. Um, I basically had the whole weekend to take it all in and enjoy it. Uh, it was nice to get a break from, you know, the, the day job work <laughs> for a while. But um, yeah, so there's that. Um, but definitely, um, I wouldn't be surprised if shutter very soon makes an announcement about the just joe bob segments being on there i can honestly say that from what i was seeing on twitter and instagram different people talking about it and whatnot it seems like fans are finally somewhat happy and satisfied that this is happening i mean because over on patreon darcy's got her own patreon and she's been uploading all the old monster vision and um you know, last drive-in segments from Joe Bob's younger days when he was a strapping young lad. But, um, so yeah, I've, I've already been enjoying that. Um, you know, uh, just recently she put up the, uh, the video footage for when he did Gremlins. Um, just before recording this, I was watching 
segment uh, where he was talking about the sleaziest films of all time, and he was talking about the movie Blood Feast, which he did also on Shudder during the original uh, 24-hour marathon. So, I mean, it, it's just, it's... For, for those of us who are Joe Bob fans, this is a cool time for us because we're getting all of this and we just get to take it in and really enjoy it. So I know I usually talk a little bit here and there about them, but it's, for this week, I wanted to really just dive right in and talk about it because Joe Bob Briggs, along with like, you know, like I said, I, you guys know I've talked about like Count Scary and Elvira and whatnot. The whole horror host thing was something that always intrigued me as a kid. I wouldn't say that I was like, you know, absolute diehard nuts about it, but it was something that always in the back of my mind, I always enjoyed. And Joe Bob was one of those inspirations growing up. So this was somewhat my tribute to him, uh, you know, culminating from the fact of season three has been released. He won the Fangoria Chainsaw Award and Shudder has finally given the fans what they wanted in putting up all the Joe Bob segments from all the last drive-in marathon specials and series like the season seasons one and two were on there so far and all that. So that's that. But now it is time to finally move to this week's movie review of the week, our shared deadcast experience where we're going to be talking about a comic book. I spoke, specify a comic book you'll 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 find out why after the break but anyways we're gonna do the trailer timeout and then when we come back shared podcast experience we're gonna talk del toro we're gonna talk snipes perlman david goyer marvel pre mcu all the good stuff that comes from blade 2 back in a splat kid There's a world beyond the one we know, where the powers of darkness fear nothing but one man. Stop! Blade. We represent the ruling body of the Vampire Nation. They're offering you a truce. They want to meet with you. You sure about this? They'll take us in deeper than we've ever been. Now, those he has sworn to kill need his help to fight a new breed of terror. They're no longer top of the food chain. Our forces are ready to fight, but we need a leader. Let me get this right. You want me to hunt them for you? Ooh, so exciting. Five, four, three, two. One. Keep your friends close. Keep your enemies closer. laugh in the trailer how the the one line is edited for tv 
where he's like, I don't think you know just who you're messing with. And it's like, no, you're doing it wrong. It's supposed to sound like this. You obviously do not know who you are fucking with. So, yeah. <laughs> it just always makes me laugh. But, um, okay. So let's get into this. Uh, there's a lot here to talk about. Lately, the movies I've been picking, there's a lot to talk about, so let's get right into it. Blade 2, Blade 2, the sequel, was released March 22nd, 2002 in North America. Apparently, as I was reading, the success this movie had was kind of shocking because I guess, for some reason, and I don't know who comes, Eli Roth should be here to explain this because he understands the formulas, but supposedly there's some way that they can tell that in March and April, apparently sequels don't do well. I don't know how they know that uh, beyond me, but I was reading that. I was reading up like that the success that Blade 2 had was very shocking because when it was released, I guess it's got, don't ask me, but apparently it's got something to do with the final four. Uh, the NCAA basketball tour that or like whatever it however it works it's supposed to be that I, I guess studios feel that if they release sequels in March and April up against the final four or the March Madness thing or whatever you want to call it that more people are in are, are liable to watch the final four and they won't go see a movie so releasing a sequel it doesn't do well I don't know don't ask me <laughs> I, I, I'm a stupid guy pretending I'm smart, so hey, it is what it is. Anyways, Blade 2 was directed by Guillermo del Toro. We like Guillermo around here. He's done a lot of great movies. Movies like Pan's Labyrinth, Hellboy, Hellboy 2, Kronos, Mimic, Pacific Rim, Shape of Water with the weird sex scene. Yes, I know, but it's still an awesome movie. Crimson Peak... Most fans will tell you they already knew this, but for those of you who might not know, he's also directed a Simpsons episode, Treehouse of Horror, um, from 2013. I can't tell you which one that was. I just know it was in 2013. But yeah, he directed that. He's directed good movies. He's a good guy. The behind-the-scenes documentary that comes with the DVD of Blade, it's... Much like it was a pleasure to listen to Eli Roth this past weekend, it's a pleasure to listen to Guillermo talk to. I'll get more on that in a bit. But the movie was written by David S. Goyer, or David Goyer, uh, based on characters created by Marv Wolfman and Gene Colan. And for those of you who don't know, Blade, um, the character of Blade was actually created in the comic pages of The Tomb of Dracula number 10 in 1973 July 73 I believe was uh, the exact issue so yeah he came from the Tomb of Dracula comics um, and Gene Colan was the one who illustrated him and it was interesting reading up on that because he was basically saying that when he created Blade all he was given um, Marv Wolfman Marv basically told him he said look he's he's a, a, an African American um and he's a, a vampire slayer. 
That's all he really gave him. So Gene Colan tried to figure out a way that he would create him, and he basically shaped him after NFL players. Uh, specifically mentioned Jim Brown of the Cleveland... Is it the Cleveland Browns? Uh, Jim Brown? No, he played for the Colts. I don't know. You know, it's pretty bad. I can't remember where Jim Brown played. I just know he was a big inspiration for so many players that I like. But anyways, um, yeah, I'm a horrible football fan, aren't I? But it is what it is. Moving on. No, so anyways, um, so the blade that we get in these movies is he comes from those comic books, but more on that in a bit, but just basically let, let, keep in mind, Wesley Snipes is Blade, and I'll explain more of that later on. Uh, the movie was produced by Peter Frankfurt, um, along with Patrick J. Palmer, Wesley Snipes, uh, Tomas Kreschke, um, and then also David Goyer, Avi Arad, and Stan Lee, of course. Um, a- I believe his name is pronounced Avi. It could be a- a- Avi. I'm, I'm never too sure on that. But basically him and Stan, how, how many times did you see a Marvel movie? You always saw those two names in the producer credits. It was just a given. Um, cinematography for this movie was by Gabriel Beristain. Um I'm mentioning this because it's kind of important to remember. Production design was by Carol Spire. Um, she's a longtime collaborator and friend of Guillermo del Toro. And it's kind of important to know that fact, especially when you watch the behind the scenes documentaries that came from this movie. Um, she does get interviewed a few times. Um, her input was actually very valued upon the creation of the blade films especially the second one um well actually just the second one because she worked with uh guillermo but the music for the film was done by marco beltrami who has 142 composer credits to this date um which include the scream films um mimic the faculty the Crow Salvation, Dracula 2000, uh, Resident Evil. He did uh, the score with uh, Marilyn Manson actually on that one. Terminator 3, Hellboy. Cursed, which is the Christina Ricci film. Uh, I believe it's a Wes Craven flick, but Christina Ricci was in it. Uh, he was uh, a part of Underworld Evolution, Live Free or Die Hard. He did the music for the 2009 um, I guess you call it a reboot series of B. He also did music for the two, the 2011 movie The Thing, which was, I guess, a prequel to John Carpenter's The Thing. Did music for World War Z, Snowpiercer, A Quiet Place, and Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, amongst many others. Like Beltrami's been a busy man. Like I said, 142 composer credits. Um, I will always say, though, if, if anything, my favorite score that he's ever done always comes from the Scream films. Um, that score is something else. Our starring cast. And it's a good one, um, especially probably like the first five or six names I'm going to talk about uh, definitely help to sell this film. There is some cast members that seem like they were kind of wasted. Uh, but we'll talk more on that in a bit. Let's start with our lead role. 
the man who sells this, the man who makes Blade what Blade is. Let's talk about Wesley Snipes. Um, and to be fair, I've been a Snipes fan since pretty much his first film feature debut. Um, ever since he was in Major League, I loved him. I, I thought he was great. Willie Mays Hayes. I, again, my baseball roots are showing. Obviously, I, I do love my baseball, but that movie, he was definitely one of the highlights. Um, and I loved him in that. And then from there, it just it just took off. Every time I saw Wesley Snipes' name, pretty much would see the movies. Uh, movies that included New Jack City, Passenger Fifty Seven, Demolition Man, uh, The Fan, Murder at Sixteen Hundred, Liberty Stand Still, which. For those of you who know the movie Phone Booth with Colin Farrell, that ripped off of Liberty Stand Still. Liberty Stand Still never gets the credit that it deserves. That was actually the original idea. And then everyone went nuts when Colin Farrell did Phone Booth. And I remember seeing that movie and going, this is a fucking ripoff. Wesley Snipes already did this. Um, so Liberty Stand Still, he was in The Expendables 3, which some people don't like, whatever it is what it is. Um, what We Do in the Shadows, he was recently on that. So, I mean, and, and again, he, he's done other stuff as well. There's stuff that I'm obviously glossing over. I could have written half the man's career down. And it was like, okay, just pick out the ones I need for the most part. And moving on to Abraham Whistler. Yes, Whistler is played by Chris Christopherson, which was kind of interesting because for me as a fan, he hasn't done many movies that I follow, but he's done a lot of TV work and he has done a lot of movie work. Movies that I'm familiar with that he's been in, though, uh, include Pat Garrett and, the, and Billy the Kid. Uh, he was in Big Top Pee Wee. He was in the 1989 uh, movie Millennium, which was not the TV series. The TV series with Lance Henriksen was its own thing, and this was something else um he was also in the movie payback he was in the 2001 uh tim burton flick planet of the apes but yeah like i mean he was also in movies like a star is born and uh what was the other one i saw uh alice is alone in the at home or something like, something like that anyways he's done he does a lot of like drama work and i'm I like drama films, but I it's not my go-to. I with me it's either sci-fi, action or horror. And with the odd comedy, I mean like Big Top Pee-wee, I have seen. Um, but even comedy is something that I'm very hit or miss with. And a lot of what Chris Christopherson has done in the film world, I'm not overly a big fan of. So, I mentioned what I've seen. <laughs> uh Ron Perlman as Reinhard Reinhardt, sorry. Um, I love Ron Perlman. I, I he's a gem. He is a gem amongst gems. Um, obviously he's our Hellboy. He's Hellboy and Hellboy Two. Um, which I mean, yes, I, I get it. The 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 most recent Hellboy film did not do as well. Um, and I know Ron Perlman would have easily done the role. But I mean, he he is getting up there, but he he's still everyone's Hellboy, and I mean, and I get it. He he just he he's Hellboy. It's like Wesley Snipes is Blade, you know. And Wesley Snipes has gotten up in age. I mean, like, and you know, with Blade coming into the MCU, um, a lot of people wanted him to do it. He probably would. Um, 
but I, there's a there is that point where you have to hand it off, and it's the same with Robert Englund as Freddie. Everybody is always going to and you know embrace Robert as Freddie, but there has to be a time when we say, okay, we have to let it be handed off. Um, with Hellboy, at least they waited a while. Not like with the Freddy Krueger thing where it was like, you know, we just came out with Freddy versus Jason and, and reboot. And it's like, no, their fans are not ready for that. Um, <laughs> with Ron Perlman, at least they tried to wait. It just, it didn't work. And it is what it is. Ron Perlman, though, sticking with him, has also been in one of my favorite TV series, uh, Sons of Anarchy. He was in one that I wasn't too familiar with, Beauty and the Beast. Um, I do remember him being in it, but it was never really a series I was really into that much. He's also in the movie Ice Pirates, uh, Kronos. He is Clayface in Batman the Animated Series and so much of that uh, Bruce Tim era. Uh, he, he, he was Clayface in uh, the Justice League, Justice League United. Did you know he was Batman, though? He was Batman in the PlayStation 2 game Justice League Heroes. So Ron Perlman has can also say he's been Batman. Um, he was in Police Academy, Mission to Moscow, uh, The Island of Dr. Moreau, Alien Resurrection, Star Trek Nemesis. Um, he was Slade Wilson in the Teen Titans series. He was in The Devil's Tomb, and he was in Star Wars Clone Wars. I'd like to highlight that Ron Perlman has been in the Alien franchise, the Star Wars franchise, Batman or DC franchise. Um... And he's been several characters. He's been Slade Wilson, he's been Batman, and he's been Clayface. Uh, he's been in the Police Academy um, franchise. Star Trek franchise, I mean, th this guy gets around. He's like, you know, kind of like how Christopher Lee has been in so many of our, our favorite fandoms. Well, same with Ron Perlman. And you can add Blade. You know, he's he's been in Marvel as well. So... Ron Perlman, he's a gem. We love him. Uh, moving on to, and I hope I pronounce her name correctly, uh, Lenore Varela. Uh, I'm, I think I'm pronouncing it correctly. Uh, she's Nissa in this. Um, she's done quite a bit of work, um, but not a whole lot that stood out. Uh, a lot of um, Spanish work as well. She does have a Spanish, uh, or I guess you'd say Mexican background or whatnot. Um, so she did a lot of work in, in that field as well. A lot of the titles were very unfamiliar to me. Um, but she was in the movie Hellride, which was produced by Quentin Tarantino. Um, and she was in the movie Odd Thomas with uh, Anton Yelchin. Um, it was sort of like a horror comedy. She was in that. And she had a few appearances in the Marvel TV series Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., Moving on to Scud. Um, yes, Norman Reedus is in this film. Um, and yeah, I know it. Let's go right with the obvious right now. He's Daryl on The Walking Dead. We know. Um, <laughs> it's pretty much his. Uh, he's it's his Mark Hamill Luke Skywalker thing. He's forever going to be Daryl. Um, but I'll. Uh, I always remember him from the Boondock Saints films, uh, Boondock Saints and the second one. Um, I also remember him from the movie Pandorum with, uh, oh shit. And of course I'm going to forget the fucking guy's name. 
Um, it'll come to me. But he was in Pandorum uh, as well. Um, Mimic, he was in 8mm with Nick Cage. Uh, he was in the Masters of Horror episode, the John Carpenter one, Cigarette Burns. And he was also in the Death Stranding uh, video game. He was the main character of that. Ah, uh, son of a bitch. Why can I not remember the lead actor in Pandorum? It's going to fucking piss me off. But anyways, moving on. All of a sudden, I'm going to spit out a name and you guys will be like, he remembered. <laughs> um, moving on to Thomas Kretschmann as Demoskinos. And he's been in a lot of shit that I didn't realize he was in, um, including the Stendhal Syndrome, which was an Argento flick. As a matter of fact, uh, Dario Argento's daughter is the starring role, Asia Argento. She's in that. Uh, Thomas was also in the Resident, Resident Evil Apocalypse. He was in the King Kong movie, um, the, the Peter Jackson one. Cars 2, Hostel 3. Um, he was in the TV series for Dracula. He was in Captain America, The Winter Soldier, and Avengers Age of Ultron as Baron Von Strucker. I didn't even realize it. Oh, and I've watched... Winter Soldier is my favorite Marvel movie of all of them. I know everyone's like, Blasphemy, it's Endgame and Infinity War. No, Winter Soldier's better. Suck it. But anyways... um, yeah, he's Baron von Strucker. And never even I've watched that movie a hundred times. I was like, I never, never clued that it was Damaskinos in that. Um, and he was also in Penny Dreadful, City of Angels. I love his characterization of Damaskinos. I don't think I actually wrote it down in my notes, but I love the fact that they kind of gave him. It's almost like a Nosferatu, or um, a, like a, a Mr. Barlow kind of look, like how he, he's no hair, he's very bald, he's very old looking and very ancient looking and stuff like that. I love how they went with that look, especially for him and for our next actor in this movie, Luke, Luke Goss as Jared Nomack. Nomack is basically more or less our lead villain, uh, so to speak. He was originally, Luke, that is, was originally part of the boy band Bros. Which I don't know if any of you actually remember Bros. Um, they came out at a time when boy bands were all the hype. New Kids on the Block, Backstreet Boys, NSYNC and all that, all that stuff. Um, and Bros was another one. Uh, much Music used to play them a lot. Um, so yeah, and I vaguely remember it just because I would always see it on Much Music. But um I, I'll be honest with you. I had to actually think about it for a few minutes myself. But Luke uh, was also in a few, actually, some pretty interesting films, uh, specifically Silverhawk with Michael Jai White and Bing Bing Lee. Uh, he was in Hellboy 2. And he was also in, and I totally did not realize this. And when I say I didn't realize this, I didn't realize this movie happened. And now I have to see it. <laughs> but in 2010, apparently there was an adaptation of the video game Tekken. And he was in this. And I didn't know this even existed. And it was like, <laughs> I found this out and I'm like, I need to see it. Now, I mean, the movie itself has like a rating, I think, of like 4.8 out of 10. So I don't expect, you know, fireworks and, you know, great glorious amounts of visual entertainment and whatnot. I mean, most video game adaptations... uh well, Super Mario Brothers, okay, that says it all really much. Um, but 
there have been there's been a few that have, have turned out really good but not many um almost uh, let, let's quickly get through this so we're almost done here matt schultz as chupa he was in both blade and blade 2 as different characters I didn't know this. I just recently found this out. But most of you will recognize him from the Fast and the Furious and Fast Five. He played the character of Vince. He was also in the movie The Transporter. Uh, Danny John Jules as Assad was also in movies like Labyrinth, Little Shop of Horrors. He was in the TV show The Tomorrow People. Um, Lockstock and Two Smoking Barrels, Sucker Punch. He was in Red Dwarf and <clears throat> he was part of Bob the Builder. How cool is that? Moving on to Donnie Yen. Yep, Donnie Yen is in this film as Snowman. And Donnie Yen has been in a lot of awesome movies, including Iron Monkey, Shanghai Affair, City of Darkness, Highlander, Endgame. Okay, that's not an awesome movie, but he, he's awesome. We love we love Donnie Yen. Um, he was in the Ip Man movies. Dragon, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, Rogue One, and Triple X, The Return of Xander Cage. And I guess we should mention it, even though a lot of people were really down on this movie. He was in, he was in the uh, Disney Plus film Mulan. Uh, Carl Rodin as Kunin. He's uh, the lawyer, the, the lawyer in the vampire world or whatever. Um, was also in movies like Crimson Dawn, Bulletproof Monk, Hellboy. Uh, the Born Supremacy, Mr. Bean's Holiday. I had to mention that. It's in the movie Bathory, Countess of Blood, The Eye, and Cat Run. I have, let's see, three left to go. Okay, so we'll quickly get through this. Tony Curran as Priest. Um, to me, he reminds me of Alex Winter in The Lost Boys. I don't know why, he just does. Um, but uh, he's also been in movies like Gladiator, Pearl Harbor, Flight of the Phoenix, Beowulf and Grendel. Underworld Evolution, he was Marcus. That's pretty cool. I, I totally... And you know, it's funny because after I read that, I'm like, oh my God, I, I never made that connection. Um, he was in The Midnight Meat Train. Uh, Doctor Who. Doctor Who. Do you remember the episodes where uh, Vincent Van Gogh was uh, working with the Doctor? The Doctor and, and you know... A, I forget what the actual oh shit I forget what the actual storyline is but it had to do with one of the paintings and whatnot. Anyways, he was Vincent Van Gogh um, in Doctor Who. He was in the movie Cat Run. He was in Sons of Anarchy for I think three episodes, and he was in the Netflix movie Cal uh, Caliber, I believe. Although I read it as Calibre, um, I, I don't know. It could be either or. I haven't watched the movie, so I, I can't tell you. Daz Crawford as Lighthammer. He was in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. as well. And Merritt Val Keel as Verlaine. Ten acting roles, all TV, miniseries. None of them really took off. This is pretty much her, her highlight movie. Um, the runtime for the movie is an hour and 57 minutes. It's rated R for strong, pervasive violence, language, and some drug use and sexual content. The budget was $54 million. Gross profits was 155 mil. So it basically, I'd let's say it tripled what it spent. So that's awesome. Our synopsis, which came from the back of the DVD, the, two, the double DVD that I own, basically said this. 
when the world is threatened by a new and deadlier breed of super vampire, the legendary Blade and his mentor, Whistler, must join forces with the Blood Pack, an elite team of vampire warriors made up of his sworn enemies. In order to stop the carnage, these ravenous fiends must be destroyed at all costs in the high-voltage adventure, exploding with spectacular effects in martial arts action. And now, it's time for Notes from the Bloodbath! Because the Bloodbath scene, I fucking love it in this movie. Oh, it looks so gorgeous on the screen. And that's the thing. This is what you get when you bring on Guillermo del Toro. Now, the two-disc set that I have has... It's probably about a 90-minute making-of documentary. It has, like, extra scenes you can jump to and whatnot. It's kind of interactive and whatnot. Anyways, it's an absolute gem to watch. It's a lot of... um, Like I said, like Eli Roth, Del Toro is a gem to listen to. Now, I mean, okay... He does have his accent. So at times when he's talking, and especially when he gets really excited, you're kind of like, oh, what did he just say? Um, but, <laughs> but I mean, you get the gist of it. And I mean, this is a man who they brought into this movie. Uh, David S. Goyer writes this screenplay, and he goes to Del Toro, and he says, I want you. I need you for this movie. Now, um, I believe, I know his last name was Norrington. I can't remember if it was Ed Norrington or whatnot, uh, was the original director for the first film. Um, so del Toro's coming in, he's following act one, basically. So what he did, he did his research. He, he, he watched all the dailies. He watched all the footage. He watched anything and everything he could get from that first film because his attempt. And remember I said earlier, like I I said, keep in mind, they're making a comic book. Now, this is his words, and this is the thing about Del Toro, and this is what I add. This is why I think I love Blade 2 as much as I do. Critics don't like this movie, but we'll get to that later. His whole vision for this movie was, I mean, first off, you're bringing in Del Toro, and the reason why he was brought in was they wanted to make, you know, they wanted to make it scarier. The first movie's not scary. So they want to make, they want to bring in that the, the vampiric, element but make it scary they want to make it visually you know effective that people will get the creeps and will get the chills from the game or from the game the, the movie as well as watching a blade movie but you are dealing with vampires and vampires should be scary so the whole time he's approaching this movie he does not approach it as making a movie or making a blade movie or making a marvel movie he's making a comic book and that's what he says every time. This is not an action movie. It's not a horror movie. It's not. It's none of that. He's making a comic book. So, like I said, the first film's not scary at all. So he's brought in to hype up the creepy factor. On top of the fact that this movie is very sleek looking. It's fun. It's action packed. It's got everything that a Blade movie should have. But he's brought in to bring the scary edge. And like I said, Goyer knew he wanted Del Toro the whole time. And it, 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 when you listen to Goyer talk, like even like even he says, like he, he, every time he would see Guillermo, he'd be like, "I'm coming for you. You'll you can expect a call from me." And this and that, he knew right away this is what he wanted. Um, but like you take you take into consideration, like for example, the look of the film, the dialogue of the film, um, the sound effects. 
the sound effects, how like, 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 okay. For example, like he was saying, like in a comic book, when you read a comic book and there's an explosion, they got the big word, like bang. And the way he envisioned it was like when an explosion goes off, he wants it to be loud. So he has like a loud, like bang. But in terms of the dialogue, which is something that critics have more or less sometimes picked on about this movie, they've said, you know, the dialogue seems cringeworthy. Guillermo del Toro, in his mind, he's remembering, like, and I believe he said he's got like a he's got a huge collection of comic books. Between him and David Goyer, they had, they they had libraries worth of comic books. So he's no slouch. He he he's read his comic books. He knows what they look like. He knows what you know what they feel like and whatnot. So sometimes the dialogue, like it was either very cliche or it was very cringeworthy. But he's remembering what he's read in the comic books, like the whole idea of. Um, uh, when uh, Blade says to Whistler, keep your friends close, but keep your enemies closer. Very common, very cliche line, whatever. It's a throwaway line that everybody has always used in many different films. But that's something you would read in a comic book. So Guillermo del Toro put that in the film. Um, even the whole line of, you know, one of my favorite line, you know, the whole... I don't think you know just who you're fucking with. And you can picture that in the comic. You can see it drawn on the page of Blade throwing the grenade into the water as he's saying fucking with. Like, you know what I mean? Del Toro went into this and he even says he was not making a Del Toro film. He was not making like his films are very gothic and they're very they're very aesthetically beautiful, which this movie is too. Um, More on that in a little bit. Like he he knew he was doing a continuation of something that Norrington had done first. So doing his research, he gets the feel for the the movie. And he on top of the fact that he lets Snipes, like Wesley Snipes, is Blade. And he says that. He he specifically says Wesley Snipes is Blade. He's not gonna go based on the comic book comic book iteration because it kind of made him like you know he was like some like Harlem brother like you know like and if you've ever seen any of the comics that Blade originated from like I said like they kind of went with the Jim Brown look and he talked like he was like you know 1970s like out of Harlem kind of you know gangster kind of guy and whatnot Blade doesn't Wesley Snipes doesn't do that with Blade like he he makes him very serious interesting intriguing mysterious uh like he does a lot of that um which like let's talk about the actors for a minute like the character of blade wesley snipes there's a reason why like i like i said like you know with um ron perlman as hellboy you know robert england as freddy krueger um some people would even go as far as say Kane Hodder is as Jason Voorhees, even though he never spoke a word, but his just his personification of the character. Once they do a, a certain role, it sort of becomes them and it sticks with them. And I mean, Blade is something they're bringing into the MCU now. And people still want Wesley Snipes to do it. Now, they're going with, um, oh, what's his name? Um Ah, uh, shit. Marsha Lee. Uh, M- Ali. Am I saying his name correctly? I know I'm saying it wrong. Um, But they're going with him. Uh, he's been in Alita Battle Angel. He was in Luke Cage and whatnot. Um, great actor. Great actor. I just, for the life of me, I can't say his name. Uh, <laughs> I'm horrible. I admit it. Um, But um, 
Yeah, the, he's going to be our new Blade. And to be fair, I think he's going to be awesome. I really do. And and Wesley Snipes on social media has already come out and said he has his full blessings for him and whatnot. I think he's going to do amazing. But when it comes to the character of Blade, who do you think of? You think of Wesley Snipes. He definitely upgraded the character from the comics. Now, in terms of the other actors, you've got Ron Perlman as Reinhardt, who is great. My problem with Perlman is that he, I feel he was almost a bit underused in this film. Um, I would have loved a little bit more of him, especially like you bounced him off Wesley Snipes. And it, it some of that was like absolutely cinematic gold. Um, Ron Perlman is no slouch when it comes to acting. And every time he's on the screen, it's awesome. But I just really felt that with this film, I would have liked a little bit more. Um, Lenora is Nissa. Uh, she's definitely a solid female lead in the film. And I, I say she's a female lead. Um, yes, I, I guess she's a supporting actress and whatnot. I, I feel that she's a lead. Like, w- especially the chemistry between her and Wesley Snipes really works well. Much like last week when I was talking about Keanu Reeves and Rachel Weiss. This is another one of those, those, um, combinations i guess or you know like it, it they work really well um lenore uh, sort of reminds me of like a salma hayek uh in this there is some deleted scenes on the dvd um in which we actually see it was highlighted a little bit more that their relationship was supposed to be a little bit more intimate uh in the final product obviously we can see that was dialed back a bit you still get the hint that that was there, but there was there's actually one deleted scene where it's like uh, Blade is like looking at a computer and they're like overlooking some whatever they're looking at. I forget what it actually is, but anyways, he's basically wearing a house robe, and so you kind of get the, the 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 feeling that the two of them just had some like hanky panky time, basically. Um, and and. I mean, there. I believe there was like one or two other scenes where, like, you kind of saw that, you know, Blade. It, well, and I believe it was actually Wesley Snipes was quoted as saying, "He said something about the fact that they were trying to get Blade laid in this movie." Um, but again, like I said, final product. It was dialed back a bit. It, if you want to see it, it's in the deleted scenes, basically. Uh, when it comes to the actors, the Blood Pack. The Blood Pack is a real fun bunch. Uh, Chupa and Reinhardt pretty much take the spotlight. A lot of people, and I read this in many reviews, many comments, uh, fan and critics alike, Donnie Yen's character of Snowman, a lot of people feel that was a waste. Um, He hardly talks at all. We really don't see much of Donnie Yen in this film. But then I did read some theories online, where, and I tend to agree with this, is that a lot of people seem to speculate that they think he was probably brought in to help with the choreography of the fight scenes and was given a small role just so he could be put on the screen. But um, between him and Wesley Snipes, they're both martial art like they both have martial arts backgrounds so i'm sure first off i can imagine the discussions and the practice sessions must have been a fucking blast like i mean between two guys like wesley snipes and donnie yen fuck i would have loved i would have paid fucking top dollar to be front row for that but um like i guess 
if you look at it from that perspective, I'm sure Donnie Yen was actually a lot more present in this film than we realized, probably a lot within the fight sequences. But it's just in terms of his character of Snowman, he really is somewhat wasted. Um, moving on to the visual look of this film, the aesthetics of this film. Uh, we definitely have Del Toro to thank for this. Um, I also mentioned earlier the production designer, Carol Spire. She's really interesting to listen to in uh, interviews and in the documentary and whatnot. Basically, she she had worked with Del Toro before, so she's familiar with what he likes to see on a screen and whatnot. So she would come up with these looks, these these sets and whatnot. And she does say, like, he loves big sets. Like, he, he he's not one for small areas. He loves his big sets, which if you have seen any of Del Toro's films, you know that he does not like claustrophobic sets. He likes big gothic architecture. And so she would put together these, like, these layouts of, like, different sets and basically show them to him and... Before he would even say anything, she could just tell by his body language whether or not he was going to like it or hate it, basically. And, and it's just, it's fun to listen to her talk about it. How, like, you know, um, for example, like the House of Pain uh, dance sequence and whatnot, like the, the bar sequence. She basically created a set for that, showed it to him. He just kind of went, hmm, and she made it bigger. <laughs> and because she knew that that's what he wanted. Um, and the bloodbath, she creates that whole look. That that scene where Demoskinos is like walking into the bloodbath, it has to be one of the most gorgeous gothic scenes I've seen in any movie, let alone a Marvel movie of all things. I mean, pre-MCU, obviously, but still, it's a Marvel character. And it's just, it just reeks of like, it's got a totally like Elizabeth Bathory look to it. And just so beautiful and that's the thing like when you watch the behind the scenes for this movie like you get to see Guillermo del Toro in action and like how he's very hands-on at at one point there's even um they show footage of when they're when they're filming that scene and then they have to film the scenes with the lawyer uh Curran they have to film his scene so they got the camera on him and del toro is sitting at the table basically playing the role of damasquinos and he's eating the the jello the blood jello and stuff like that and it, it just he's very hands on definitely um a gem to watch in action and whatnot and so you can see where carol spire like she knows because she had worked with him before i believe she worked with him on chronos and mimic i believe are the two that she said she worked with him on and so knowing what he wanted, she was able to bring that to the table and it works so well. I mean, the bloodbath scene is absolutely gorgeous. Then we have yet another club scene. Um, the first one, it was the blood showers, the blood rave. This time it's in the house of pain. Um, the, the one really cool part of the house of pain. And I know, um, some people have criticized it. I thought it looked really cool. Uh, don't really know why it's there, but it's just really cool looking is when you see the one vampire, his his back is split open and the other one's carving into it. And it's like, that's interesting. That's totally some like fucking BDSM shit for vampires for sure. <laughs> um, and on top of like the, the, the whole club scene, yay, music that works in this film. Because last week I mentioned that the one thing about Constantine that I kind of had 
taken a lot of issue with was there was no recognizable theme. There was no theme music that made me feel like that belonged to a Constantine. This, however, has the Marco Beltrami themes, especially that main title theme that he did with Danny Saber. Okay, so yeah, not as iconic as like Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, Avengers, um, you know, Spider-Man from 1960s, whatnot. Obviously, it's not that, but when you hear that that music kick in, you know it's Blade. You know you're watching Blade too when you hear that that music, and that's what I love about it. Um, so yes, I. You've got the club scene, which uh, uh, people have even made the the comparison of the fact of like at the same time these movies were coming out, so was the Matrix. And the Matrix, it seems like every movie they had that one dance scene, and of course Blade does the same thing. Um, but I'm gonna I, I'm gonna jump off to now talking about the Reapers. The Reapers are basically our villain in this, uh, which is also why I held off talking about Luke Goss when I was talking about the other actors. Because first off, his portrayal of Jared Nomak is awesome. It's very menacing. Um, okay, well, in terms of the look, I mean, yes, he's got a predator alien kind of thing going on here. Um, so, yeah, yeah, I mean, it works. It's interesting. Feels a little bit like a ripoff, but I mean, okay, whatever. It, it helps us to distinguish between the vampires and the reapers so i like that um again yes it's a bit of a, a, a rip-off idea but okay whatever um i do like <laughs> and really it, it it's interesting that this comes up in you know a, a, a pandemic world that we're living in right now but the idea behind the reapers and especially leading up to the final reveal when we find out that damaskinos is behind all of this but how the Reapers are like considered a mutated virus, you know, almost like a feared pandemic amongst the vampire or the vampiric world, the underworld, whatever you want to call it. I mean, we later find out, yes, it was designed by Damaskinos. He wanted to evolve the human race, the, the human race, the vampire race and whatnot. But I love the fact that they almost approach it like it's like a virus that's been conceived and unleashed upon the vampire species, you know, and then they fear it's going to get out of control. I mean, like, where does this all sound familiar, right? <laughs> but then to keep it within the line of the Blade comics, you know, they need the Daywalker because they want to perfect the potency of this evolution. You know, they want to basically so that they can have the Reapers, but that they, the Reapers can exist in the day world, you know, and then take over the human race, obviously. And then, of course, you've got the, the twist of Scud. Scud, played by Norman Reedus you know, planted, he's planted into Blade's, you know, mission to find Whistler and whatnot. And, but then we find out that Blade was onto him all along, which I'm assuming Blade would allowed this to happen so he could infiltrate the vampire underworld. But at times it almost feels like it's almost too bloated of a story. Like, I mean, if Blade wants to really take down the vampires, just go on a killing spree. It's what he's been doing, right? But at the same time, and this I, I kind of highlighted on this earlier when I was talking about the dialogue, he highlight he says to Whistler, "Keep your friends close, keep your enemies closer." And then you almost see like the camera, like almost not completely close in on Scud, but you see that it the, the focus on Scud becomes a little bit more defined. 
almost as if it was a hint to the audience that Blade was already on to Scud. But if you don't catch it, then later on that little twist is like, oh. But, I mean, really, let's let's be honest. I mean, Blade didn't seem like he really gave a shit when Whistler was disappearing and reappearing, you know, during the House of Pain sequence and whatnot. So I think as an audience, like, we we kind of know. We we knew that Blade was already on to Scud and that he trusted Whistler. I mean, he, his whole mission at the beginning of the movie was to find Whistler. He, he trusts Whistler and whatnot. Yes, I know. Again, and I've mentioned this. You know, critics will talk about like how the dialogue seemed like somewhat cringeworthy, and and the movie. You know, there's a lot of downfalls to the movie and whatnot. I mean, let's okay. Let let's be fair here. Okay. I'm going to try and sum this up because I've been talking a lot too. Um, but the movie isn't perfect. God, it's, it's nowhere near perfect, but damn, it's entertaining that cinema sins. And I never really criticize them, but they call this movie forgettable. And I'm really not sure what movie Jeremy was watching. Movie is anything but forgettable. It's over the top at times. Yes. Cringeworthy dialogue. Okay. Maybe, um, Yes, it has some loopholes. Yes, it, it, there's some of it that, you know, the movie expects that as, as an audience, you're just supposed to go with it. Okay, whatever. But let's really look at the bottom line of this. It's a vampiric action horror film with some kick-ass martial arts, some great visuals, and, you know, some cool quotes, too. I mean, you know, some critics call the movie what they call it mindless they call it forgettable junk food for the brain uh let, moving on to the reception of this film obviously um so rotten tomatoes has the movie at a 57% approval rating and what is it they it, their general consensus basically says though blade 2 offers more of what worked in the original its plot and character development appear to be left on the cutting room floor. Again, what movie are people watching? I don't, I don't see where the character development is lacking. It's, it's different. It's, I mean, we still have the whole idea of Damaskinos trying to evolve the vampire race. Um, but again, if you really want to dial this back to its basics, it's a vampire slayer movie. You know, it's not the resurrection of Christ. Like, I, I don't, this is where, like, I, I sometimes I, 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 I look at, or I read, like, critic reviews, and I, I listen to critics, and it's like, why do we go into some of these movies taking them so seriously? It's a fucking Marvel movie. Pre-MCU, I get, yes. Okay. But that's what it is. Like, why do we, why are we, as critics, so many people walk into these movies and they want to treat them like it's Schindler's List. It's not. So just accept it for what it is. Now, I will say this again. Okay. So Roger Ebert likes Spawn. He hated Constantine, but he loves this movie. He gives this one three and a half stars out of four. He even says Blade 2 is a really rather brilliant <laughs> vomitorium. I love that. He calls it a vomitorium of viscera, a comic book with dreams of becoming a textbook for mad surgeons. If anything, I love his creativity in his comments. But I mean, <laughs> but again, like he enjoyed this one, yet he seemed to hate 
Constantine. I never really did understand that unless Roger Eber had a thing against Keanu Reeves. I don't know. But because he loves Spawn and he loves this. But then again, Roger Eber is approaching it the, the right way. He's approaching it like a comic book. You know, he even says it's a comic book. He doesn't call it a movie. He calls it a comic book, which he got the idea that Del Toro was going with. Uh, Jermaine Lucier of io9.com said the plot is essentially Blade fighting a bunch of people, then talking to a bunch of people, then fighting a bunch of people, then talking to a bunch of people, and keep repeating over and over. And my thing is this. Isn't that most action movies, though? Honestly? Um, Die Hard was no different. I mean, Die Hard had some character development and whatnot, but it was very minimal. (laughs) Um, And again, it was John McClane talking, John McClane fighting. Hans Gruber talking, John McClane fighting. I mean, it was it, over and over, dialogue and then fighting. Isn't that what most action movies are? And to, to be fair, I mean, yes, okay, Del Toro was brought in to make Blade scarier, but it still technically is an action movie. I mean, at the end of the day, it's an action thriller. It's it's not meant to be a full-blown horror film. Um, in terms of scores on other websites and whatnot metacritic holds a 52 out of 100 and on imdb the movie holds a 6.7 out of 10 rating now let's go with the podcast zero rating here we go here's what i had to say about this movie it's a fun movie easily more creepier and bloodier than the first that is a definite great gothic visuals oh and by the way we can thank Prague and the czech uh, czech republic for that because that's where most of this film was filmed uh the parts of it filmed in toronto and i think um did i also read i think la and whatnot uh, th- there's aspects of the film that were filmed other places but for the most part this movie was filmed in prague and that's the thing it, it has gothic visuals there's a lot of gothic architecture and it stays modern at the same time so that works well um in terms of characters wesley snipes works well with basically everyone on the screen he has scenes with um Despite and that was another thing. I saw critics saying that he he felt anemic. Okay. I thought he had some life to his character. I mean, he is supposed to be half dead. He's half vampire, so I mean he's not going to be like oozing with life, you know. He's not Willie Mays Hayes here. He's playing Blade, you know. But I don't know. If anything, I do wish there had been just more interactions between him and Ron Perlman. I always, I, I, I always feel that that's sort of a, a bit of a letdown. And yes, I agree with pretty much everybody else. Donnie Yen is pretty much wasted in this movie. I'm not going to lie. He is uh, such a talent and it seems like he's very minimal. But um, I also have to, ten- I have to agree with, you know, with what a lot of people say about that, you know, he was probably brought in more for the action choreography and then just given a small role so he could be on the screen. Um, and, and that's the thing the the action scenes, Oh my God, the action scenes in this movie, they might be mindless, but they're fucking entertaining as hell. Uh, solid music score. Um, as only Marco Beltrami can really do. Uh, I still say his scream scores are probably in my opinion, his all time greatest standout, but it really, it really works well in here, especially the theme he did with Danny Saber. 
Great villain in Jared Nomak, especially the fact that I will also highlight that not only is he the antagonist, but he's a character we feel sympathy for. When you do actually find out his story, the fact that he's a lab rat generated by the people he's supposed to be able to trust, his family, you feel very sympathetic for him. You feel sympathy to the fact that he was betrayed. Um, and yes, I know it's cliche, but it works in the movie. Um, and, and the fact that Damaskinos is the one who, who perpetrated this whole thing, all because he just wants to evolve the vampire race, but he chose to take it out on his own kids. You know, his, his son and his daughter are the two that are going to suffer the most from this. It, it works. It, it It's something that's believable, too, because you we see this in the real world. Um, it's not something that people don't do. So it, 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 it leads to that sympathy that, or that empathy, I should say. Empathy is probably the better word. We feel empathetic towards his character. So Luke Goss's Jared Nomack really does help to sell this movie. Between him, you have Wesley Snipes, you have Ron Perlman, uh, Lenore, uh, I can never pronounce her last name, basically Nyssa. With all of them, between those four, this movie, it, it just works. For me personally, the final score for me, I'm going to give this an 8 out of 10 UV bombs. Oh, yeah, I don't know. And that's another thing that, yeah, I guess I should talk about is the whole ultraviolet bombs in the in the, the sewers. Yeah, I know that's not how they work, okay? <laughs> and I know that the light travels really slow, and I know that it wouldn't bend corners and shit. Like, I, I get it, whatever. It's a comic book. Not a movie. It's a comic book. Del Toro said it himself. You don't you don't go into this movie looking for reality. You don't go into into this film looking for the real. You want a comic book. And that's what you get. Eight out of ten ultraviolet bombs or eight out of ten comic books. Let's go let's keep in the theme. And on that note, thank you for listening. Thank you for coming back to what lurks behind podcast zero another week another episode i know i've been staying really consistent lately guys um just trying to make sure i stay on stay within the game the name of the game yes uh that's obviously the track i'm ending with um because that scene alone that's a that's another iconic scene in this movie is you know um you know blades like he's basically you think he's done for well we know he's not but i mean he's supposed to be that you know the story has you believing he's done for you get you know whistler's trying to save him throws him into the bloodbath reinhardt thinks he's done away with him turns his back on him all of a sudden blades coming out of the bloodbath the blood is like water i get that but whatever um and then all of a sudden that song kicks in name of the game crystal method and it's like it just oh it just it psychs you up and that's such a great song like you, you got to get something done you want to if you're if you're active and you're working out or you got a job to do or something you play that song it gets you fucking moving man so it, it, ah, it's just so great but anyways let's end this show so show obviously can be found on almost any streaming app today now uh spotify apple Podcasts, google Amazon, Audible, FM Player, Podbean, uh, the list goes on and on. Uh, basically, wherever you listen to podcasts, you will find the show there. In terms of social media, you can find it on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, 
Facebook.com slash what lurks behind podcast zero, Instagram at what lurks behind podcast zero, and on Twitter at WLB Podcast Zero. Yes, I've been a little bit more active on Twitter the last couple days. Well, hey, last driving is back. I also want to thank all of you for putting up with 20 minutes of me talking about the last drive in. I know some of uh, some some people that know me more personally would be like, "Yeah, this guy he never shuts up about show pop rigs," <laughs> but it, it's something that inspires me. And one thing that I've always I've always been um, I, I'm very critical of myself. You guys know this. I do tend to take shots of myself through humorous ways. When I do this show, sometimes I I always wonder, did I put out a good product or not? And there's been the odd time where a movie that I've reviewed is a movie that he's reviewed, and I compare notes, and I know I shouldn't do that because he's been doing this for, you know, what, 30, 40 years, and I've been doing it for almost five, if if you include my other podcasts that I did and whatnot. He's obviously a trained professional, and I'm still learning, but... It's always good when I when I see a film that I reviewed and then I see him review it or talk about it and we're kind of on similar paths and it just it it's just a little check mark I put in the box of well I did that right <laughs> so um, there's that uh, lurker's recommendation for the week um, I'm gonna say basically you guys got to watch this movie Jacob's Wife starring Barbara Crampton and Larry Fassenden Fassenden be nice if i learned how to pronounce i was really proud of myself last week that i could say johnson it, johnson jimen hansu and i kept getting it right last week and i was like wow i actually can pronounce someone's name <laughs> but um yeah jacob's wife movie from 2021 um i assume it's going to be showing up on shutter soon because shutter was part of um the uh, production team behind it so I wouldn't be surprised to see it pop up on Shutter within the next couple months. So if you can't see it, VOD or in the theaters, um, I like I said, more than likely going to be a Shutter exclusive. I will announce episode ninety three after I also say that. By the way, because wow, I'm definitely I'm definitely out of touch this week. No, um, podcast comes from the nextlevelnetwork.com slash podcast zero or what lurks behind podcast zero dot com i almost forgot to mention that anyways oh episode 93 stay within the quote unquote superhero genre but we're breaking away from the comic books now now we're doing something completely fucking different um i'm not gonna lie it's been it's been fun talking about spawn it's been fun talking about constantine and now blade obviously these are movies that i i loved uh, in my teens and 20s and you know whatnot and I still love them today it's been a blast going back and watching these movies all over again but now it's time to go back to what what this show does best what what we love talking about and that is the the low budget the cheesy the the bizarre uh, superheroes that come from toxic waste yeah. So episode 93, if you haven't figured it out yet, is going to be a trauma film. It's time to return to the world of trauma. Um, I haven't done that since Night Beast. And uh, we're going to talk about um, a, a flick that basically made Lloyd Kaufman a household name, at least within the, uh, the low-budget B-horror community. And uh, we're going to 
go back to 1984 for this one, and we're going to talk about the Toxic Avenger. So that's uh, next week's episode. I say next week's. I'm hoping to keep up on it. Uh, I do have a few things coming up this week, so in that event, it might get pushed back one week, but hopefully I can get this this episode out next week to you. And on that note, everything is basically said and done. It's time to move on. It's time to let Crystal Method take us home. Uh, Again, thank you so much for tuning in this week. I know it's a bit of a longer episode. I had a lot to talk about. And I just was really in in an inspired mood to just talk a lot. So thank you for tuning in. Name of the game, Crystal Method. Basically, this is done and over, and it's a cut. I'll take it away. You need to shut the fuck up. Oh, no, 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 no,